Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. That is good. How are you, sir? Doing great, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. Sorry about the time mix up. Everything all, all good over there? Uh, that was, uh, I'll take extreme ownership of that on, on my end, no factor. All good. I'm glad. I'm glad it, uh, glad it worked out. I very much appreciate you, sir. First and foremost, appreciate you taking the time to be here. Um, it is definitely a, uh, definitely a big deal. I want to make sure you got context on what we're doing. Um, and then we just want to chat a little bit about you. And then these guys are going to have better questions than, than I ever will, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Yeah. My, the, the one question I just had was uh, with the schedule mix on my end, which is what, what's our, our, our stop time? So we, we want to honor your time. And so we've got you scheduled till 10 um, for, for one hour. If that is something that we need to cut shorter, you just say the word and we will uh, we're glad to accommodate. Yeah, I think I can make that work. Let me, uh, let me just shoot a, I'll shoot a quick text here. See if I can walk uh, back my, uh, my next call. No worries, sir. Like I said, if we've got to change it, just, just say the word. Yeah, we should be good. Be okay. Should okay, thank you, sir. Well, if we, in, in real time, too, if we got to switch it up, just say the word, we're more than adaptable. So um, just to give the give the context, I've got a number of schools here that I uh, had the pleasure of opening here in Northern California and um, phenomenal schools, K through 12s, kids starting their own businesses and, and going on these heroes journeys. And uh, it's been a been a rad ordeal. And I went to uh, my friend Tim Kennedy and said, hey, let's let's uh, do something for young men as well. Um, so we got him opening a school for us out there in Texas. And then uh, he and I put together the Apogee Strong program, which is what we have here. Uh, young men from all over the world joining us. And these guys have committed to a year long program of just being better extreme ownership over their life and uh, we present projects and challenges uh, to them every single month and these guys go attack those they attack workouts uh, and they attack readings every single month and then we get together on on Fridays and get to hear from amazing leaders like yourself so uh, life is good sir and that's that's what we're all about here is, is the mission of pouring into these young guys well I appreciate that Matt it's, it's an honor to be here with you guys uh, I, I'm no amazing leader and in fact if anything what qualifies me to talk about leadership is uh, is that I've made every single mistake that you could make. So uh, I recognize that in life, it's uh, it's be humble or, or get humbled. And uh, I've, been, I've been humbled more than uh, more than most. So uh, the good news is I learned a lot of lessons that, and, and I'm excited to share that with uh, all the folks that are here with us today. Yes, sir. I think that is the, uh, I think that has been the common theme. Um, and whether it's gentlemen like yourself that have come out of service and, and we appreciate that service, or if it's gentlemen that have come out of, you know, professional sports, if they've come out of the entertainment industry, you know, entrepreneurship, whatever that looks like, I think that is the common thread, you know, and that's what I love for these young men as they get to hear that over and over again. And, you know, Tim and myself have both shared our stories of just failure after failure after failure and, and, you know, life always presenting an opportunity for us to be humbled uh, if, if we ever uh, get out of line. 
So I appreciate that very much um, and, and very much excited to just kind of dive into your backgrounds. If, if you don't mind, we, we like to start with kind of an X-Men origin story. Um, these guys all, all know who you are. Most of our audience, as we put this out to the Essential Eleven, um, absolutely knows who you are as well. But we'd love to go back to kind of when you were the age of these young men, you know, kind of 12, 13, 14. And, and how did that trajectory go for you joining the military, going um, you know, SF, all that kind of stuff. What, what was, what was life like as a youngster? <laughs> That's a great question. I was, uh, I would definitely was a wild man and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm, uh, I've always been hard headed by nature, uh, which is, uh, a great quality that can serve you well. If it's pointed in the right direction, it can also take you in a, a very poor direction as well. But from the youngest time that I can remember wanting to do anything, I wanted to be some kind of a, some kind of a combat leader, uh, some kind of, a a commando, you know, some, some kind of a, uh, a, a soldier, you know, if you will. And, and I, I definitely, uh, you know, from the time I was playing with my GI Joe figures out my sandbox, I, 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 that's just what I wanted to do. And we'd run around the woods. I grew up in, in uh, rural East Texas. Um, and, uh, it, it just, it's, it was a really small town. We've, it was, it wasn't a great place if you had to drive 60 miles away to the nearest shopping mall, but it was an awesome place if you wanted to, to uh, grow up in the country and if you like playing in the woods and driving ATVs and hunting and fishing and all those things that, uh, that I love to do. So uh, I started reading about the SEAL teams when I was uh, probably about that age, probably about the age of, uh, of many listening here, you know, probably, you know, 11, 12, uh, somewhere in there. And I started reading the Rogue Warrior books by, by Dick Marcinko. Uh, um, yeah. and, and I started getting a hold of, of books about SEALs in Vietnam and, yep. and learning a little more about, uh, about the SEAL program. Um, you know, if, if you know anything about SEAL, SEAL stands for Sea, uh, sea Air Land. It's, a, it's an acronym, and it came out of the underwater demolition teams that were the, the, the frogmen of World War II and, right. and the Korean War, uh, the guys who swam upon uh, uh, enemy held beaches and blew up obstacles. So there was, a, there was an appeal to the Navy for me for that. And so as I went into you know, that, that kind of junior high school um, era, there was a movie that came out starring Charlie Sheen called Navy, Navy Seals. Navy Seals, that's right. Uh, yeah. In 1990. <laughs> yep. uh, and, uh, and so that, that, that kind of solidified that for me. And, yeah. and uh, later we, we quoted many of those movies, uh, the, some of the most cheeseball lines from that movie uh, and other movies like it on, uh, on actual combat operations, which was uh, pretty funny. And you can read about that in, in uh, Extreme Ownership. But there, there's, uh, uh, that's just what I wanted to do. And so I, 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 I knew I wanted to be in the military. I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm one of five kids in my family. I'm the only one that wanted to be in the military. My, my dad served, but it was service to me. was just something that's always what I was going to do. And it didn't matter whether I enlisted, whether I was commissioned as an officer. Um, I just knew I wanted to be in the military. Um, and so, uh, you know, I decided to go to the, the college route and I would have gone the ROTC route in college if I couldn't have gotten into, uh, one of the uh, the military academies. I was accepted to West Point in January, my senior year, um, before I graduated from high school. And I, I didn't hear back from Navy. Navy was my first choice because I wanted to be in the SEAL teams. But uh, I didn't hear back from Navy until about April. So I'd already accepted my appointment to West Point. Um, and, and I thought I was going to be going that direction. But once I got, I heard back from Navy and they accepted me, um, then I, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And I went to the Naval Academy to pursue that dream of becoming a SEAL. Spent four years in the Naval Academy. And at the end of that four years, uh, they took 15. Uh, we had 16 bills at the time. So we had a prior enlisted SEAL in my class. Mm. And, uh, you know, out of our screener, we had probably 200 people that went through the, the screening process to, to qualify to go and, and get a chance to go to BUDS, our, our basic SEAL uh, 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 you know, screening process. Uh, the training program it stands for basic underwater demolition seal training buds 
and, and that's just our, our basic screen. It lasts about seven months or so. Uh, and I didn't get a chance to go. They only said 15, uh, 15, uh, you know, midshipmen who were graduating the commission as officers upon graduation. And I wasn't one of those 15. So, uh, it was pretty heartbreaking at the time and all you're going to have to deal with some failures and, and heartbreak like that. But I think that, uh, you're, you're also, uh, you're also going to learn from that. And that was an amazing experience for me. I went out and served on two different surface ships uh, for three and a half years. And as a young, you know, 22 year old, I was immediately thrown into some very uh, significant positions of leadership in charge of, you know, a 28 person division um, on, on a destroyer with, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment that I had to manage. And, and I had to learn from, you know, those who were experienced. And that was a great experience for me. And, and I, I finally got selected for the SEAL program and when I did that, it gave me incredible, uh, it gave me just, just uh, an incredible appreciation, number one, for being there, uh, for the opportunities that even when other people were feeling sorry for themselves about how difficult this training was, uh, I was just so thankful to be there. And that's an attitude that I think served me well throughout my nine years uh, that I spent at the SEAL team. I love that, man. The, um, that, that transition from that, that heartbreak of not getting to go where you thought you wanted to go, but still sticking it out and going a few years later, look, that is still my mission and I'm still going there. Where, where do you think that mindset came from for you? Is that something that was ingrained in family? Is that kind of a DNA thing? And, and what does that look like? Because I ask, you know, obviously I get the opportunity to deal with thousands of, of young people and have for, for my career. And I've also had the opportunity to go and speak to so many Fortune 500 companies. And that's how I've actually made money for a long time is working with these companies. And the reason they bring me in is because they're hiring these young people that were the same age you mentioned you were at that point. You know, they're 21, 22, 23. And a lot of what's going on is these young people are, are coming in, they're coming to work. The companies feel like they're not ready. They've got their college degree, but they're going, man, they've got no, you know, real uh, ability yet. And a bigger problem is we're six months in trying to train them what to do. And they're going, Hey, where's my raise? Where's my promotion? Where's my, you know, this is not what I thought it would be. Right. So you at 22, you're going, okay, well that didn't work out exactly as I wanted it to, but I'm still going to go forward take responsibility for all this other stuff and come back around to that mission. Where would that mindset come from for you? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Matt. Look, the, the thing uh, that I'm probably most thankful for, for that experience is that it didn't work out for me. And so I had yeah. to deal with that failure. Yep. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't the first failure. I mean, I've, I've, I've failed tons of times. We always say, you know, failure is, uh, is often the greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love playing high school football. High school football, where I grew up in Texas, is a huge deal. And, yeah. and uh, I, I tried to play at the Naval Academy. I was too small and too slow you know, to play at the Division One level. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I ended up playing rugby and boxing and kind of going that direction, which opened my mind to, you know, a lot of other uh, sports and, and things that are out there uh, as well. But so it wasn't the first failure that I dealt with. But it was something that where I had to really reflect on, you know, this idea that, that we now call extreme ownership. I had to really reflect. It, it's really easy to say, well, you know, because there were there were people that got picked up that were just simply better athletes than me. You know, there were, you know, we it was a, a highly competitive group. So, you know, I, I never we didn't even have a swim team. You know, where I grew up, I mean, yeah. you played football, that was that was it. So, um, in, in a tiny little town, and yet I'm. I'm competing uh, for a, for a billet to the SEAL program with uh, the captain of the water polo team. 
you know, with an All-American uh, Division One collegiate swimmer. I mean, those I'm never going to compete with them right on that level. Or, uh, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to beat the runtime of the guy who's the the you know uh, uh, the captain of the Navy you know triathlon team. You know, so so there's there, it was it was a highly competitive thing. My grades weren't good. I got in a lot of trouble uh, at the academy. I had a had a conduct record that was pretty significant. So uh, it didn't take a lot to get in trouble uh, for those things. But all those things, you know, affect you in every way. And I think what what really I learned more than anything is it's really easy to cast blame and make excuses and say, well, that other person just happened to get lucky or, hey, they happen to play that sport, so they're in a better position to score more. Hey, you know what? They were an easier major than me because I was an engineer. Well, you know, they were an English major, and so they didn't have to take as many hard classes as I did. Or, hey, that guy actually had a better relationship with um, you know, one of the guys that picked up had it was was very close to the um, the the uh, SEAL officer that was at the academy at the time, and you could make excuse, all kinds of different excuses, all kinds of different excuses. I mean, there were there were guys who had a lower score than me on the on the physical fitness test, but they were Navy football players, so they you know like oh well they've got they've got an advantage because they were Navy football players, and that's why I didn't get picked up, and you know they got hooked up. It's really easy to make all the excuses in the world and and point fingers and cast. And when you do that, what happens? Like that problem never gets solved. It's a problem that's right. going to continue if you just right. think, well, the world's against me. And, you know, what can I really do about that? And, and what I loved about not getting selected for the SEAL program is that, that was my lifelong dream. And it forced me to take a really hard look in the mirror and say, hey, um, okay, I'm not, I'm not as fast a runner as I need to be. I have to have better PT scores. I have to actually work harder. I need to study harder. I, I need to, uh, there's, there's, I actually have control over the situation and it's going to require discipline to actually train harder, to work harder, to learn more, to, to actually toe the line and not get in trouble for things that, you know, the little stupid things that didn't seem to matter, but yet that impacted my ability to get selected. So, uh, you know, when I went out to the surface fleet, my determination was to be the best surface warfare officer I could possibly be. Uh, and, you know, the whole time, I, you know, that's, that was the opposite attitude of some of the other guys that didn't get picked up, which was like, well, I'm just going to mail it in every day. And, yeah. you know, cause I don't care yeah. about being here and I really want to be in the SEAL teams. And some of those guys didn't get picked up yep. uh, as a result. Uh, so, that's that that was a great lesson for me is is this this idea that we now call extreme ownership if you're going to cast blame make excuses and point things to other folks uh, or say well it's not really my fault or it just happens to be circumstances or mm -hmm. conditions that i can't control there's so much in your life that you can actually control mm -hmm. and you know if there's one thing i could teach you you know if i could have learned this lesson at the age of 12 or 13 or 14 uh as you guys are uh this is it would have been absolute gain. I'd be so much further ahead in life uh, than I am now. So, you know, I think it's, it's an amazing thing that, that you're all a part of this program and, and learning these kind of lessons because uh, it, it really taught me that. And then I had to, I had to work hard to get a yeah. chance. I, I put in a package. I, I, I trained, I went out and met some seals. I, I had some people who wrote me letters of recommendation. I put together the package. I met every requirement that they, um, you know, there was all these different, probably 12 different things that were required to be in that package. So I had this little package that was, you know, 12 pages deep and, uh, and I did not get selected again. Uh, for the lateral transfer. So two years into my service career. So uh, I, I, I realized like, okay, if this is my dream, this is what I'm going to do, then I'm all in on this thing. What does it actually take? I scheduled a meeting with the, the most senior officer who was on the board at the time. He was, he was a, 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 a Navy captain, which is equivalent of a colonel in the, the Army or Marine Corps Air Force. Um, 
and very senior officer, you don't see lieutenant junior grades just go in and you don't, you don't just roll into the captain's yeah, office and say, yeah. you know, hey, sir, yeah. what's going on? So uh, I did that. I went in and talked to him and said, sir, this is what I want to do. Uh, here's why I want to do it. You know, what, what do I need to do to get selected? And, and, uh, and he was very, he actually told me no one does this. I've never met with anyone that I didn't select before has not come and schedule a meeting. You know, this idea that we call default aggressive, yeah. um, which is I'm going to go make some things happen. I'm, if you're just sitting and waiting for things to fall into your lap and things to happen, they're not going to, right. you're going to have to go make it happen. And, uh, and so, so I was able to do that. And, and instead of turning in those, this 12 page, you know, document of just all the minimums, I turned in about a 40 page document where I just, I went over the top with every single thing uh, that I could do. And, and the very last possible opportunity uh, that I had to get picked up uh, just with my seniority, um, you know, three years in as a Lieutenant junior grade, I, I was finally selected for, for the SEAL program. That's awesome, man. I love that. I love that concept of, I mean, that concept of personal responsibility is in the accountability there to yourself is exactly what we build these schools upon. It's what this program is built upon. And it's um, so interesting to hear the stories from the young men here from, from, you know, people on our campus when they take responsibility for themselves, especially at this young age, the opportunities that are open to them, um, now and it seems like you know and again i might be doing the old guy thing where i'm like remember back in my day but it seems like we're seeing less and less young people actually do that so when you know young people are are, are taking responsibility they're they're calm people sir man they're going forward and they're and they're actually trying to make happen what they want to happen the response from the adults is just like like they just met Jesus, right? Like it's like they can't believe that you got these young people who are taking on this responsibility. Um, you know, and I love that. We talk to these guys about the compound interest of take advantage of that personal responsibility early. Like you said, if I had done the same thing as a young man, how much further along, you know, would I be without having to learn all those, uh, you know, mistakes, kind of the, learn all those things the hard way from making all those mistakes. So I love that concept of the personal responsibility. Do you think it's something that we're seeing less and less in society in general? Um, and when I mean, uh, or when I say that, I guess I mean, is it something we're actually as a culture uh, struggling with more than we ever did? Or is it just, do you think we're just being shown less personal responsibility by because social media can blast out all the people that are upset about everything social media can blast out all the you know the victimhood and so we can exacerbate the culture is it a shift that's actually taking place or are we just hearing more about it for this divisive kind of um you know agenda so to speak I think it's both. You know, I think it's both. I think you, you know, we've, I think there's definitely been a, a shift in the culture. I mean, if we wrote extreme ownership, you know, 40 years ago, uh, I think my grandfather and I, like, yeah, 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 everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part so, of course, yeah. Um, I, I think there's, um, you know, there's, and this is, you know, the reason I say that for all of you, uh, young folks on here too, I mean, this is, um, the, the reason I'm saying that is because you were talking about folks that grew up in the Great Depression who had nothing. Sure. I mean, my, who, who, you know, my, uh, in my, my grand, my grandfather's generation where, you know, the, the, his older brother had the only job of the entire extended family, uh, and had to, they had to make ends meet for years, you know, on that one, you know, salary, uh, and, and take care of their entire extended family as a result of that. So, you know, this is, uh, it's, it's hard for Americans, I think today to understand hardship at that level. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things I'm so thankful about my military experience is because, you know, it, and I know Tim, Tim talks a lot about this as well, which is, it enables you to go see uh, other parts of the world. I think really appreciate uh, all the opportunities and freedoms that we have here. And so if anything, I think, 
you know, it's, it's easy to take that for granted when you don't know different, you know, and so it's all a matter of perspective uh, that, that, that you're going through. Um, you know, as well, but I, I do think, so I think it's a problem culturally that we've, mm-hmm. we've taught, uh, uh, we, we've given people the out of, of, uh, to not be accountable to themselves, you know, to not take extreme ownership, but to try to blame other people. Why? Cause that feeds the ego, but of course it never actually solves the problem. And I think the more that people are talking about those kind of things on social media, you know, the, then, then the more it kind of exacerbates that, that problem, which is already a problem, I think, you know, culturally. So, um, you know, to, to me, um, that perspective is really important because it's really easy to feel sorry for yourself. And I think, you know, I've done, I've, I taught leadership in the SEAL teams for, for two years. I taught every single SEAL officer that graduated from our basic training pipeline. Uh, after Jocko and I came back from Ramadi, he was running training for the entire West Coast SEAL teams and, and putting every SEAL platoon and task unit that was going overseas, you know, through training before they, they deployed to combat. Uh, so we got, it was really an amazing leadership laboratory uh, you know, that we, we get to see, uh, leaders in, uh, in different, you know, the, the different people in the same challenging situations. Mm-hmm. And so we really got to see what works and what doesn't work. And really for the last 10 years, we've done this in the business world with, right. I mean, gigantic corporations to mid-size, you know, mid, mid-level companies to the startups and to, uh, 501c3, you know, charity organizations and missionary groups and, and, and education uh, groups and yeah. uh, teachers and schools and all kinds of stuff, you know, first responders. Uh, so we, we get to see this over and over again. And the most common excuse that I think any of us give ourselves is that it's harder for me than it is for other people. Mm. And, you know, you can, you can take it from just like a, a physical fitness standpoint. You know, you look at somebody who's in good shape and you think, oh, well, it's easy for them. It's easy for them. It's a lot harder for me to eat the right stuff and actually train. It's, you know, it's obviously easy for them and it's not easy for them. They're actually, they're, they're just doing it. They're more disciplined uh, to make it happen. And of course, yeah, look, some people, some people are more prone to gain weight, right? Some people have more muscle mass. Some people are thinner. Like we're all born with, you know, with, with different traits. Um, so we're all a little bit different, but it's, it, it requires discipline uh, to do that. And I think when you, you know, one, one of the lessons that I learned, I, uh, after nine years in the SEAL teams, 13 years old in the Navy, I never had any knee problems through, uh, you know, three combat deployments and about, uh, I mean, like not even three months after I was out, uh, I, to- I tore my ACL in my knee, uh, on a, in a, riding horses up in the mountains on an elk hunt with my dad. And it was, it was, I was feeling sorry for myself. All of a sudden I'm laid up on the couch. I can't do anything. I was, I was just uh, pretty miserable. Um, I couldn't physically train like I, I could. I was, I was really down. It's one of the darkest periods that I can remember. Um, and, uh, it was, it, it was, it was really you know, I was sitting there kind of feeling sorry for myself and thinking I can't do the things that I used to be able to do. And now I can't go out and train like I used to be able to train and my knees never going to be the same. And I had a good friend uh, who came into town uh, with a group of wounded vets from Walter Reed. And this friend, I was supposed, I couldn't run with him because my knee was, you know, I, I just had surgery on my knee, but he was coming in to run the New York city marathon. And uh, this was a seal friend of mine who lost both legs above the knee in Afghanistan. And so I, I went to meet him down at a, little, a bar in New York City uh, where I was living at the time. And when I walked into the bar and it's all these wounded vets from Walter Reed. And uh, I'm in there, I'm, a, I'm on crutches, uh, you know, cause I just been, I, I mean, I was just a couple of weeks out of knee surgery at that point. And they were, uh, you know, these guys are here, here there's these, these young men and, and women who are standing there with prosthetic legs and mm. some had prosthetic arms. And, you know, they're, they're just laughing at me like, hey, 
what happened to you? They said, oh, I tore my ACL. Yeah. They said, cut that thing off. <laughs> and they're joking about it. It really just put in perspective of me. You know, here I am yeah. feeling sorry for myself, thinking that I've got it bad uh, and, and because I did this to my knee. And my, my knee, my knee I, I, I may not be 100%, but I'll be 95%, you know, if I actually do my rehab. Uh, and, and here are these, these young folks that are never going to have their legs back. And yet they're out there. They're running. You know, my, my friend, he hand-cycled the first – uh, half of the marathon and then ran the last half on, on prosthetic legs, you know, That's so awesome. these are incredible people who are not making excuses for themselves right. and are making things happen. And I think the more that you can, the more that you can look up and out detached from your own, you know, your own, like if you, you can't get so self-focused where you're so just feeling sorry for yourself and thinking it's harder for you than it's for other people. If you actually realize like other people may have it way worse than me and yet they're able to, to figure out a way to solve these problems and get this done. So, you know what, there's a solution for me too. Uh, and if I have the discipline to work hard, I'm going to actually have the freedom to, to succeed in life at whatever I'm trying to do. I love that, man. I love that. Actually, it reminds me of uh, my, my favorite poem, which actually I first heard, pretty sure I first heard in the movies, I first uh, heard it in GI Jane, right? Which is, about, you know, it's the, the film about, you know, the female going through, through buds. Right. And, and uh, you know, the master sergeant says, I never saw a wild thing. Sorry for itself. A, a bird would fall frozen dead from a bow without ever having felt sorry for itself. Um, like, Carlos is fantastic. Yeah. He's got an amazing perspective. And, and um, uh, you know, I think from both the officer you know, enlisted side, you know, in, in, in the SEAL teams and, um, he's an outstanding instructor uh, with us at Echelon Front. I, you guys will get, get a lot out of that. Look, I, I think it's uh, that's a, that's the com most common excuse that people give themselves. Probably the biggest yeah. question that we get asked, you know, is is um, uh, you know how do I get other people to take ownership? Mm -hmm. Because they're always looking at someone else. Well, you're not taking ownership. Mm -hmm. or this you know this other person, and the, and the answer is pretty simple. It's 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 you take ownership. Because extreme ownership is not about anybody else. It's, it's about you. You know, if I'm, if I'm worried about what I can't control you, you know, yep. I can't control anybody on this else on this call, but I can control me. And, you know, I mean, you can, for those, you know, you, you guys are, you guys are in school. If, let's, let's say you don't have a good relationship with a teacher, right? And you don't have a good relationship with one of your teachers. And you can say, well, I just can't get along with that. They just don't like me. You know, they have a bad perception of me. They, you know, their perception of me is incorrect. Well, if, if you if you want to just put all the blame on them, then you're in a hopeless situation. You're never going to be able to turn that situation around. But if you realize that your perception, their, their perception of you is based on your actions and you control your actions, Bingo. then you can actually totally change someone's perception of you simply by taking ownership of that. And, you know, whether, whether it was a question that you asked and a tone that was unintentional that they perceived as being argumentative or, you know, or undermining in some way. I mean, there's all kinds of those little things that, that really, uh, uh, you, you have so much more control over your life and every interaction with other humans than you think is even possible. So true, man. It's so true. And gentlemen, I promise I am going to let you, um, I am going to let you chat. How do you, uh, just one quick question for me, dad to dad, how do, how do you impart that with, uh, with your own children? How does that, how does that message come up with what you guys are doing? I mean, you guys op talk openly about it. Well, I, what you can't, you don't want to beat people down with extreme ownership. Yeah. So I think yeah. what you have to do is, um, is ask you, you have to ask some earnest questions yeah. you know and you know it, my my oldest son is seven uh a little bit younger than y'all but he's he's uh you know he there's it, look it's in our human nature to want to cast by and make excuses and let's say he can't find his shoes we're trying to get out the door can't find his shoes um you know and and he'll make every excuse i don't what do you mom and dad what'd you do with my shoes you know i'm like yep. and, and and so you know my initial reaction is like 
is to get mad about that. Like, you need to start taking ownership, son. <laughs> the harder I like push back on him and slam him with that, the harder he's gonna push back on me. He's hard headed just like me. So, so, so what I need to do is actually ask some earnest questions. I'm like, huh? Oh, you can't find your shoes? Interesting. Huh? Well, I, you know, I, who wore your shoes last? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I did. Like, cool. Where, where'd you take them off? Well, I don't know. Like, well, I, did I take your shoes off? Like, no. I, I, so he, you start asking questions to get him to come to the conclusion that's obvious that like, look, son, you took your shoes off. Where that's did right. you put them? I don't know where they are. Go find them. And, you know, and then if anything, what I can do is say, listen, what I've done is failed to teach you that uh, you need to have discipline in, in where you put your shoes so that you're not looking for them, you know, for, for 10 minutes every time we're trying to get out the door. Um, so let's make sure what I'm going to do going forward is to make sure that you put them in the right spot where they go right by the door here in this little, you know, shoe, shoe thing that my yeah. wife had me put together uh, so that you know where they are. And, and how's that going to benefit you? It means that we're not going to waste 10 minutes of our time. We're not going to be late to school. We're not going to, you know, because you know exactly where they are. That's right. So, um, I, I think that's a, you know, when you ask questions and when you actually take ownership yourself, other people will take ownership. Roger that. No doubt about it. Right. You know, the, 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 the worst day of my life is August 2nd, 2006. Well, I lost uh, two, two of my guys uh, in Charlie Platoon. And uh, it's the kind of thing as a leader that uh, you always carry with you. It's a burden that never goes away. Um, uh, Mark Lee was, uh, was killed and Ryan Job was seriously wounded. Um, he was blinded as a result of those, uh, of those wounds. And, uh, and then three years later, he passed away, uh, on a complication uh, from a surgery to repair those combat wounds. So that's something as a leader that never goes away. It never goes away. And it's the kind of thing you have to think deeply about, okay, what could I have done differently? Um, you know, what could I have, what, what could I have done to actually bring them back? And you don't have the ability to do that. You don't have the ability to do that. So, you know, what, what I've, what I've come to realize is that, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. As someone that, that Jocko and I had some very uh, heartfelt conversations about in Iraq, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know when those things are going to happen. If we did, we could not go on that mission. You know, we could actually do some things differently, but instead you got to do the best you can with the information that you have, you know, and I think what I've learned from that is that, uh, um, you know, what I need to do is, is tell their story and talk about their legacy and what those guys did. And that's one of the big things that we do at Echelon Front uh, is, is remind people of who these guys were and what they gave, you know, and those were only, you know, we lost a, another guy in our, our, our sister platoon, Mike Monsoor as well. So uh, those Mike and Mark were the first seals killed in the Iraq war. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, even, even with uh, uh, it's horrible and tragedy that was for us, there was 98, you know, killed in action uh, just from the brigade combat team alone, 5,600 troops that we served with, you know, army and Marines mostly. Um, but, uh, so it was, it was a, there was a massive sacrifice that was taking place. And I think what we try to do, a uh, lesson that I learned from that is, is that combat is hard and it's humbling. And even when you think you make all the right calls, things can go horribly wrong. Uh, you better be ready for that. And, 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 you know, the other thing is that it doesn't, as a leader, your obligation to your team does not end, you know, just because, you know, I, I got promoted above, you know, above the rank of platoon commander and moved on. I mean, it's something that will be lifelong to the families of the guys I serve with. Um, and, uh, and it's, it, it's a burden that, that, that uh, I gladly uh, carry with me. And I think it's a, it's an honor to take, take care of those families and, and to reach out to them and support them in any way I can, you know, for the rest of my life. Mm. Well, I started this off by saying, you know, in life, it's, uh, it's be humble or get humbled. And, and one of the most common questions we get is, what's the most important quality in a leader? And the answer is pretty easy. It's humility. It's humility. Because if, you know, when you're not humble, 
uh, when you think you got all the answers to everything or you don't even realize what you don't know, um, then, then you can't listen to anybody else. You can't learn from anybody else. You're not going to be able to educate yourself about better ways of doing things. You're not going to be able to actually look at yourself and analyze, okay, what could I do better? How can I fix this situation? You start getting complacent, um, you know, and even on the battlefield when it's, when lives are at stake, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, even if you've, you've got, let's say you're going into a really dangerous area where there's, you know, the, you, and you're going in with a, a team of, you know, 15 or 20 uh, SEALs and some Iraqi soldiers like, like the operation that we did. Um, well, the enemy might be able to muster a hundred enemy fighters, you know, and overrun your position and kill everybody. So, uh, and that was, that was something that was not uncommon, uh, certainly in, uh, in, in the battle of Ramadi during our time there in 2006. So, um, it, it was, uh, this, this idea that like, if you, if you, you start to get complacent, even like, Hey, we've done a dozen operations in this area and you know, that hasn't happened yet. So that can complacency can really start to creep in. So you got to fight against that and, and stay humble and put your ego in check because ego, ego is a great driver. Ego helps you, you know, you want to make the best grades in the class. You want to actually outperform everybody on the, you know, in, in athletics, or you want to, you want to actually go and work harder than everybody else at your, your job or whatever it is that you do. So ego is, is a great driver for our success, but ego can also be the most destructive force in any of our lives mm. where, and I, and I saw it happen on the battlefield. I saw it where, uh, here's an example where a special operations unit that had showed up to uh, Ramadi, uh, it, you know, within the last two weeks, you know, they, they're, they're wanting to do an operation and they were told by the National Guard unit. So if you guys know what the National Guard is, right, that's the that's that's uh, reservists. They're part time soldiers. Um, but these National Guard, uh, this National Guard unit had been in, in uh, they've been on the ground for over a year in, in Ramadi at this point. And they said, hey, yeah, I wouldn't drive down that road. If you try to drive that road, you're going to get blown up. I don't think you're going to make it to the target. I think you should try to find an alternate route. And this special operations unit was like, you, you guys are National Guard. You don't know what you're talking about. We're, we're special operators. And they, I mean, they just drove down the road and got blown up. I mean, they did exactly what they were told not to do. Everyone knew exactly what was going to happen to them. Um, and it, so, so ego can even, even uh, you, you can even put your entire, your life and the lives of, the, of your team uh, in jeopardy on the battlefield. And that's always uh, the biggest thing that you're up against is your own ego. Um, and so the reason, you know, most importantly, like fundamentally, uh, the reason that if you can't check your ego, if you're not humble, um, the, the worst part of the whole thing is that you can't take a realistic, honest self-assessment. Uh, look in the mirror and say, okay, what could I have done to improve that situation? Okay, my homework wasn't, wasn't, wasn't done. Uh, okay, well, you know, I, I, I got tied up last night, you know, doing something and this thing came up that I didn't prepare for. Okay, well, what could I have done to actually do that homework earlier? Uh, or, hey, we get some traffic on the way to school. Well, we should have left earlier. What could I have done to actually fix that problem? And, and so you, you've got to be able to stay humble and actually look yourself in the mirror constantly and be able to conduct this, this, this brutally honest self-assessment uh, so that you can figure out, okay, what could I have done more to improve the situation? Uh, and, and if you can do that, then you're going to run circles around the rest of the world because that I think is the uh, is the most important quality in a leader. And no matter what level you are, whether you're whether you're 12, you know, or whether you're you're a combat leader on the battlefield, or whether you're running a company, or whether you're an individual contributor as an employee, uh, you know, or a middle school or high school student, like this is uh, if you can stay humble. And when your teacher, you know, is trying to give you some correction, or your coach, or your or anyone that you're working with uh, is, is trying to give you some some guidance and direction, uh, listen, open your ears and 
listen to them and realize I don't have all the answers. I don't have it figured out. Um, and if you could stay humble, uh, you're going to be in, in a, you're going to, you're going to learn, you're going to grow, you're going to constantly improve uh, all the time and everything that you do. Never ends. Let me, let me give an example of that too, because this is what's, you know, I, I have a lot of people come up to me and say, Hey, I want to be in a SEAL teams, you know, and, yeah, and they want to tell, you know, so we get, I get approached by that a lot yeah. you know, by, you know, young 15 or 17 year olds or, you know, 19 year olds or 25 year olds. And, uh, and very rarely do I have people even ask me like, Hey, what's it like? What's it like to be in the SEAL teams? They assume they know because they watch the TV show right. or they watch a movie right. or they read a book, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's, they don't even understand like, what's it actually like? Not, not what I think it's like, but what's it actually like? So, um, I think it's just an example of, of when you realize like, okay, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. Uh, let me open my mind. Let me listen and learn. Uh, you're going to be in a lot better position, man. Really good point. Yeah. And I, you know, we talk about it from a business perspective or we'll talk about it from a parenting perspective all the time, you know, as I always say, everybody knows exactly how to parent and then you have kids and you realize cool man this is I'm, I'm starting from zero i know a whole lot of nothing you know and and, and you got to learn through that experience man i think that's a that is definitely a default uh, issue with uh, a lot of people in a lot of a lot of places you have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow join the apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com for inquiries contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.